Blog Talk Radio. We know that quality care for your most precious gift is your highest priority. Worry no more. The Children's School offers early childhood education that counts. We provide a variety of learning activities to enable all of our children to grow and learn at their own pace. We ensure that quality attention is offered to every child. The Children's School provides a stable, fun, and safe learning environment for your child. Located in the Germantown section of Philadelphia, we accept children six weeks through five years of age. We are open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. Call us today for a visit at 215-991-1767 or email us at childrenschool.thl at gmail.com. Blog Talk Radio. Thirty-one questions for the Mukmanoon. Have you ever cried as of sins you have committed? Inshallah. Did Shaitan ever make you feel like the past can't be repentant? Yes. Do you really love Allah or just words that you utter? Do you feel like your innocence has been drained by the gutter? Yes. Can you love sooner and still love to backbite? No. How many days you woke up Muslim and Kafir by night? Allahu Akbar. If you was on trial for being Mukmin, would they have enough evidence to convict you? If you die right now, how long would it take for the Ummah to forget you? Can you answer the questions in the grave, or do you have to study for that test? I hope so. And what would be the words you utter at the moment of your last breath? What are you prepared to sacrifice for the Sunnah? Did you ever take part in spreading the vicious rumor? If so, how far did it go? How many people really know? On the day of judgment, how many mukmans you going to host? Why are you the last to Juma and the first to leave? Is that an indication of how much you really believe? Why do you say things out of your mouth that's not in your heart? Don't you know Mukmans live in the light and Kufars live in the dark? Um, I do. How can a month go by and you miss every salat? Where's your desire? Ah, you show for the fire. Muslims and Muslims, fill the north for more hopeful dreamer. It's either heaven or hell. Mock B or the dot gel. Law or Shaitan, Fly Girl Novels or Ayahs of the Holy Quran, Standing on Street Corners at the End of the Block, or at the Masjid making Salat. You can either listen or turn your head, because this earth is a paradise for the Grateful Dead. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. إن للمتقين مفازا حدائك وأعنابا وكوائب أترابا وكأسا دحاقا 
that here at Dina Virginia, we don't try to separate the Ummah. That's not what our intent is. We don't try to tell you don't go to that masjid or stay away from those people. But what we are calling you to is Quran and Sunnah. who you should associate with. Simple. It's very simple. Because the times that we're living in, that's that's where we at. That's that's what we have to do. And it's a shame, but it's true. It's, it's tremendously true. Now, so the first thing that we wanted to remind the believers that Islam has been established for 1,400 years, brothers and sisters. Ever since the Messenger of Allah took his last breath and he established the deen of Islam, he established the Quran, he established his sunnah, Islam has been uh, around for 1,400 years without no problems. You had deviant groups that popped up here and there, but for the most part, the Akhmu Sunnah with Jamaat has been a strong force to be reckoned with since the time of the Messenger of Allah, so that's um, so right now. Simple. In 1,400 years, the rallying call was stick with Quran and Sunnah. Follow the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah, so that's um. There are three things that we are reminded repeatedly throughout history to stick to. Number one is the Quran. The Quran is the ultimate source when it comes to our governing our lives. What is halal, what is haram. That's the ultimate. There's nothing higher than the Quran. That is the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Second in command is the sunnah of the messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The sunnah consists of three things. It consists of what the messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, did. It consists of what the Messenger of Allah said, and it consists of what the Messenger of Allah so that someone remained quiet about. Meaning that if someone did something in his presence, he would either remain quiet because maybe he disliked it or he just didn't want to participate in it, but it was cool with him, so therefore there was nothing wrong with it. Or if someone did something in his presence that he disliked, then he would immediately tell them this is haram. Immediately, he was obligated to do so. So if some, someone did something in his presence, he allowed it, and didn't say nothing on it, then that became sunnah as well. Because it's the principle in Islam that your silence about something is your condoning, is you condoning something. For example, if I have a 15-year-old a daughter, right? My daughter is 15, she's shy, and someone wants to marry her, okay? This is Islamic. This is according to the Sharia. If they ask me, can I marry your daughter? May I have your daughter hand in marriage? And I go to her. Let's say her name is Mariam. I say, Mariam, the brother would like to marry you. If she don't say anything and she smiles, that is her, that is her condoning the marriage. She says yes. But if she says no, then he, can, he, he can't marry her. But if she has to say no emphatically, she has to let it be known that she don't want to get married. Other than that, then she's condoning to a marriage. She has to speak up and say, no, I don't want to marry her. That's Islam. If you see 
uh, a person being robbed or mugged or a sister being raped and you don't say anything, you remain quiet, you keep walking, and you're condoning what they're doing. You see, I agree with what he's doing because you're not trying to stop him. You're not saying anything about it. So obviously, with the loss of penalty island, you are condoning that action. So what are the books that we want to... Uh, Uh, we want to come from is the Ikea Sunnah Medobeda, the revival of the Sunnah and destruction of innovation. It is a it is a major book. It is a tremendous book, inshallah. In this book, he explains that it is an obligation to follow the Quran. It is an obligation to follow the Sunnah. It is an obligation to follow the Ijma the consensus of the scholars. And that's the, 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 the last thing that I want to talk about is the consensus of the scholars. The Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, said that if all of the scholars agree upon something, then follow it. He says that because my ulama, my, my ulama, that the ulama would never agree upon an error. So according to the scholars, if all of the scholars in that particular time agree on something, and make it halal or haram, then we have to follow it. Simple. Because things change according to circumstances. For instance, in the time of the Messenger of Allah, cigarettes was not known. So there was no ruling on cigarettes and crack cocaine and, and weed. So therefore, there was no rulings in the Quran and the Sunnah about weed or, or crack cocaine. But the principle is there. Allah says stay away from the com- uh, um, intoxicant. Okay? So according to that principle, the scholars unanimously agree that cocaine, smoking crack, is haram because it intoxicates the mind. And it causes uh, the Muslim, male or female, to do heinous acts. And it, and it, and it, and it, and it robs you of your, your sanity. So therefore it becomes haram because it falls under the category of of intoxication, intoxicants. Allah says intoxicants and gambling is haram. So he didn't say crack, but it falls under the category, the principle of intoxicants. Anything that intoxicates the brain, anything that intoxicates the brain is a haram. We, uh, uh, alcohol. Another thing that became haram in our time that wasn't haram in the time of the Messenger of Allah, because you can't find a ruling on it, is cigarettes. Okay, it is widely known through proof that cigarettes causes cancer, lung cancer. So therefore, Allah says in the Quran that suicide is haram. You cannot kill your own self with your own hands. That is haram. So since cigarettes bring forth cancer, the scholars have deduced that cigarettes is haram because it brings forth death. So they're haram. Because it causes harm to yourself. You can kill yourself by smoking. Even if it takes 10 years, the fact that it can bring death, then it's haram. You can't do it. So you can't get around these particular things. So if all the scholars agree on these particular rulings of this particular age, you have to roll with it. Simple. So those are the three sources of law. The Quran, the, the Hadith, the Sunnah, and the ijma of the scholars. And we have to recognize that. 
We have to follow that. There's an obligation to follow that. Allah says in the Quran, according to uh, uh, whoever follow, whoever opposes in the law, whoever opposes Allah and His Messenger, and follow a way other than the way of the believers, then Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will misguide him to that path and hellfire he will be introduced to. So according to Iman Shafi'i, this ayah in the Quran is a seal of approval to follow on the Ishma because whoever opposes Allah and his messenger and the way of the believers. And according to Imam Shafi'i, he's talking about the Ijma. When the scholars, the believers come together and say, this is haram, this is this is bottle, you have to follow that. You can't do your own thing. You have to follow that. You cannot do your own thing. As Muslims, we are obligated to do that. That's not a that's not a, a request from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Allah says that if you follow a way other than the way of the believers, then Allah is gonna He's gonna let you go that way and He's gonna introduce you to the hellfire. He's gonna lead you to hell. So you will be going to the hellfire if you if you follow a way other than the way of the believers. And the messenger of Allah sallallahu said is another delay to follow the believers. He says, Stick to the, the main body of the believers, whoever is the main body of Muslims, stick to them. And whoever breaks from away from them the length of a hand span, then he has removed the noose of Islam from his neck. That is very serious. Stick to the main body of Muslims, the majority. Stick to the majority. If the majority scholars say this and they do that and you he says whoever breaks away from them the length of a hand span, then you have removed the noose. A noose is the noose that they used to hang African Americans with in the uh, early 1800s. He says, whoever, whoever turned away from that removed the noose of Islam from his neck. That's, that's just a metaphor, meaning that you have removed Islam from around your neck. You're not part of, uh, of the religion that he brought. You're not part of the sunnah that he brought. You outside of that boundary, and if you die outside of that boundary, then you die the death of a what? A disbeliever. The Messenger of Allah also said, because these things is very important, that whoever responds to the call of a blind, whoever responds to the call of a blind caller and fight for a flag other than Islam, and he's died in that state, then you die the death of a uh, the, 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 the death of a person in Jahil. Jahil. The, the, the ignorance, the days before Islam. Like, for instance, let's say I'm home, right? This is what the Messenger of Allah, so that's what I mean. I'm home. I'm watching television or I'm reading Quran or I'm doing anything, right? And my phone rings, you know, and I answer the phone. Salaam alaikum. And it's my, one of my companions. He says, come on, uh, get your gun. We're about to go to war, right? I don't ask no questions, Right? Oh, we got beef. It's on. All right, boom. We out. The whole time, I don't ask no questions. Why are we like? Why are we? Wait, what's the beef about? Why are we got? Why are we going to war? Right? And he says he take me to a block and he sees some guys. Them guys right there. We gonna kill them all. Oh, all right, boom. I cock my gun and I start shooting people. Right? And I get shot in the process and I die. I died outside the fold of Islam. I died for another cause, another cause other than Allah's messenger. Because number one, 
The prophet is saying that you, you're fighting for a blind cause. You don't even know why you're fighting. You didn't ask no questions. You don't even know if your, your, the brother who called you was right or wrong. You don't even know if he got caught sleeping with another man's wife and the other man whipped his behind, so now he's wrong, so he want to kill you. don't know why you're fighting. You don't even know if you're shooting at Muslims or not. You're just riding just because you're riding, and you die in that state. Then you die in the death of a person of, 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 of Jahil, this uh, 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 ignorance, before Islam. Because this is life and death we're talking about. You don't go slaughter people and kill people without asking questions. Because nine times out of ten, when someone when you get that phone call, it's something stupid. What's up, Bob? What's going on? Oh, man, I don't, I don't like the way that nigga looked at me. I, like, yeah, I got to put that nigga down. Like, what? No, I'm cool. I, like, what do you mean you don't like the way he looked at you? What are you talking about? We Muslim. If you want to put your life on the line, then let it be for something worthwhile. Let it be for something that if you die, you can enter Jannah and not Jahannam. We have to recognize and realize that Islam got rules and regulations that we have to follow. And if you're not willing to follow these rules and regulations, you're not willing to follow that, then you're going to find yourself in a world of trouble. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have set up boundaries, right? Boundaries, meaning that there's a limit that you can go. And if he, and he says that whoever uh, uh, opposes these limits, then you are a transgressor. And if you get caught by the angel of death outside of those boundaries, then you can't blame no one but yourself. Simple as that. Because you you, you transgress the boundaries set by a loss of penalty island. So if you get caught outside of those boundaries, then whatever happens, happens. You 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 put yourself in that position. Simple as that. You put yourself in that position. We are living in a time where Muslims are not sticking to the code of conduct when it comes to Islam. They're not sticking to the Quran. They're not sticking to the Sunnah. A Muslim can become a, a Muslim can go to a Muslim sister, right? And it's time for Salatul Dhuhr, and they ride in through. Uh, let's say they ride through West Philly, and then 60th and Pine, right? And it's time for Dhuhr. So the sister, the passenger, she said, "Oh, this masjid." Uh, there's a masjid right there. Let's go to the masjid and make uh, Salatul Dhuhr. So the sister that's driving said, oh, no, sister, don't go there. They're not on it, right? They're not on it. So she didn't give her any explanation of what are you talking about. She never asked. Oh, okay, they're not on it. And she just followed that. She blindly followed what the sister said without no evidence or proof. So now this sister believes in her heart that this marriage that she know nothing about, never been there, don't even know anyone, never spoke to anyone there, believes that they're not following her and the sooner. So when somebody asks her about the marriage, oh, they're not on it. And then they follow her. So now all of these people are following someone who have no knowledge and then give them any proof of any dalil. This is why Islam, you have chaos and anarchy. Because the blind is leading the blind. The blind is leading the blind. Because people are not asking questions. That don't make any sense. They're not on it. That's not Islamic terminology. What are you talking about? 
they don't make Salatul Dhuhr when it's time to pray? Are you saying that? They don't hold Salatul Jumu'ah? What is you talking about when you say they're not on it? What do that mean? What are you saying exactly? These questions have to be asked. Because if you're going to be playing the role of the shaitan and divide the ummah, then you need to come with proof and dalil. Simple. And then you have to know that if you're going to come with proof and dalil, is this proof and dalil in, in accordance with the ijma? Do all of the scholars agree upon this? Or is this an iftilaf? Or do half of the scholars agree and the other half disagree? Or this opinion is a minority opinion? Or is this opinion a majority opinion? Or is this opinion a Jim Horror? Is it, you know, most of the scholars of opinion? Or is it, is it a, a, a unanimous agreement? You have to have this knowledge if you're going to start making in car. Do we? Do you know what in car is? In car is you object to something. You you are you opposing a particular masjid or particular people for a particular thing that they do. If you're going to make in car, then you have to have the knowledge to do so. Other than that, you can't make in car. You're not allowed to. How can you object to something and you don't know why you objected to to, to it? One of the things that we are dealing with today in, in, in Islam, a person asks you for Dalil on something, and you say, mashallah. You give them the proof and evidence that they're looking for, and they say, well, I never heard of that. As if them saying they never heard of it is the proof that what I'm saying is incorrect. Because they never heard of it. But you never heard of it. If you heard of it, then we won't be having this conversation. See, that, that's the thing. If you heard of what I'm telling you, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. But the fact that you're ignorant, so you make it in car or something that you're ignorant of. That's like me going to Temple University, right? I'm going into the science lab. I'm not a science major. I don't know nothing about science. And they're telling me that, uh, the chameleon uh, camouflages according to certain leaves. And I say, well, what's your proof on that, Aki? What's your, what's your delil that the chameleon does this? So he told me, well, according to so-and-so uh, methodology and the evidence that pre presented above, this is why. And I say, well, I never heard of that. He's like, what, what, what am I? Of course I never heard of it. That's why I'm asking him for the proof. But then when he gave me the proof, he told me he never heard of that. So the fact that you never, you're ignorant. That's why you never heard of it. And you're so ignorant that when the, the knowledge is presented to you, you're ignorant to realize that you can't object to it. You shouldn't even open your mouth. But people open their mouth with no knowledge on, on something. So you cannot make in car. You cannot tell a sister that she can't do this or tell a brother he can't do that if you don't have the knowledge of that particular thing that you're objecting to. And when I say knowledge, you have to know, is this a, a unanimous agreement upon the scholars? Is this uh, a is this Is it a disagreement amongst the ulama? Is this a minority opinion that you are speaking of? Is this a, a, a Jim Hor, a, a majority opinion that you're speaking of? You have to have the knowledge of this if you're going to object to something. If you don't have that knowledge, you, you cannot object to it. Because you cause a fitna. That's simple. This is what Quran and Sunnah deals with. If you cannot 
provide evidence of why you objected to something, then you can't speak on that issue. Because if you tell someone, I can't, you can't do this, they're going to say, all right, why Why can't I do this? What is your proof? You can't say because I read in Sahih Bukhari that the message of Allah so that some said this. That is not proof. Why is that not proof? Because you may not, you don't have the capacity to understand that hadith, to make a legal judgment on that. And I'll tell you why. In the time of the Messenger of Allah, right, he was speaking to his wives. Now, these are his wives. These wives know more than you and I because they were around the Messenger of Allah, and he taught them. He told them that when I die, when I leave this earth, the first amongst you to come after me will be the one with the longest arm. This is what he told his wives. That when I die, the next wife to die after me will be the one with the longest arm. So all his wives got together as he walked away. And they measured their arms, right? And the wife with the longest arm said, okay, mashallah, I will be the first to die after the messenger of Allah. So when he came back and they said, we know which one is going to die first. And he said, who? He said, um... I think they said soda. She got the longest arm. And he says, nah, 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 nah. That's not what I'm talking about. He says, the one who gives the most charity will be the one to die after me. And Zainab was the one, the most charitable amongst the wives of the Prophet Muhammad. So that's him. She's the first to die after the Prophet. I believe she died six months later. But the point is, his own wives misunderstood what he said, and he said it directly to them. If you hear the speech, the one to die after me, the one with the longest arm, if you hear it, it sounds like it's plain, but it's not plain. He had to explain it to them. He had to explain it to them. So it is not permissible for a Muslim to open Sahih Bukhari and give a legal judgment or legal ruling based on his own understandings if he never had any hadith class. If he never had, there were scholars in the past at the time of the Salaf who got permission from 70 ulama before they went out and started teaching people. He got permission from 70 scholars in the time of the of Medina, in the time of the Salaf, before he went out and started teaching Islam, he got permission from 70 of his teachers. The fact that he has 70 teachers is insane. 70 of them. They all unanimously, unanimously agreed that he can teach. Okay, now he feel comfortable to teach. So how do a person with no knowledge, no teachers, never been to any university, can open up Sari Bukhari and get a hadith and start quoting it without no permission? He don't have the amana. He don't have the the the, 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 the permission to do that. No one even know who he is. And we wonder why there's too much sickness going on in the community. We wonder why that the Muslims are divided. They divided and don't even know why. The sister don't give salams and she don't know why she can't give salams. The brother don't give salams because the Aki don't have his pants above his ankle. That is a not that is not a a reason to give salams, to not return the, the greetings. It's amazing that if you think about it, right? The Aki gives the salams to the other brother, right? I said, oh, well, they come. The other brother don't give salams because he's seen him. He don't have his pants above his ankle, right? But the Aki that gives salams 
He goes to work, takes care of his kids. But the hockey, he didn't return to slam. He's a drug dealer. But he feels as though he's better than him because of his pants. He thinks the law is more concerned about his genes than he feels about his heart and the haram money and the haram substance that he's pushing in the community. Allah is more concerned with his genes are than he is with him being a drug dealer. Do you see the irony in that? So when he said before Allah, he going to feel proud because his pants was above his ankle, but he sold drugs for years upon years and fed off the community. How backwards are we? How backwards are we? The sister with the niqab on and the all black, she feels as though she's better than the sister who wear colors and don't wear any cob because she wear any cob. It don't matter that she backbite. It don't matter that she's saying the fact that she have on a dark color and cover her face, she feels as though she's better than her sister. Like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he going to look the fact that she wear any cob and don't wear colors, that she's better. How? How is she better? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says the best amongst you is those with the most taqwa. Those with the most taqwa. The fact that you think that you're better than somebody, you don't have taqwa. Proof that you're not better than the person because you don't have taqwa because you're not giving salams based on some in, 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 based on something some 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 issue that a person told you. Returning the grievance is obligatory. It is the right of a Muslim. It is the divinely given right by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If a person say, As-salamu alaykum, even if that person, you don't have no knowledge if they're Muslim or not, you are obligated to give them the salams. You can't assume a person is not Muslim because they're not covered. If a person say, As-salamu alaykum, you are obligated to say, Wa alaykum salam. Unless you have full knowledge that that person is not a Muslim. Other than that, you're supposed to give the benefit of the doubt. Very serious. And it, 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 it angers me that, that ignorant people who was just a, a kufar 10 months ago, out there in the streets and clubbing 10 months ago, could come into the religion of Islam and feel as though they have a right to not greet someone. Who are you? Who do you think you are? Why do you feel as though you have this, this mentality where you can just not return the greetings? Why do you feel as though you're better than someone because of a shade of color that you have on? Why? What causes a person to think like this? This is deviant behavior. This is not the behavior of the Aqwasuna wa Jamaat. This is not the behavior that the Messenger of Allah taught. And we have to realize and recognize what Quran and Sunnah is. What Quran and Sunnah is. We have to go to the ulama, the scholars. And I'm not talking about local iman. Local iman, local iman does not signify that that person is a scholar. He's just the person who leads the prayer. Do not make him a scholar. Do not make him a person of authority. Our imams in this country don't have no authority. The Iman can't do anything. He can't make you do nothing. Nothing. An Iman can come to your door and tell you to pay the car and you say no. What are you going to do? Nothing. 
Because if he come in your house unannounced and you call the cops and he's running when the cops come, so that means he has no authority. In the Islamic country, the Iman has authority because he has the permission from the government to do what is necessary to get the, the taxes from the people. So until we become self-sufficient, then we have no power. We have no power. This is reality to it. No power at all. We have to establish a court system so we can have marriages documented that the community knows about, that everyone knows that these individuals and these individuals are married. We have to have a court system so brothers can start taking care of their children. And if they're not taking care of their children, then they don't they have to pay. Just like the court system takes child support, we take child support to give to their children. We should be doing that. But the reality is we don't have any type of, 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 of Islamic principles or government. Anything, nothing Islam. It's all niggerism. People just doing what they want to do. And what they want to say. This is the reality to it. You have to ask yourself, do you want Quran or Sunnah? Or do you want niggerism? Do you want to follow the messenger of Allah and the scholars? Is not, or do you want niggerism? That's that's the that's the reality to it. If you've been Muslim for five years and someone asks you, "What is the Islamic belief? What do Muslims believe?" If you can't run that down uh, efficiently, then there's problems. I recommend the book you should get is uh, Akida to Hawiyah. There's about 105, 120 books, 120 points that you should get, that you can read, that tells you what Muslims believe, what they believe about Allah, what they believe about the prophets, what they believe about each other. And it's not going to take you that long to to basically be familiar with them. So you won't be lost. Like, for example, it says that we don't believe that Allah exists in the sixth direction, as far as up and down, left and right and front and back. We don't believe that Allah exists in the six directions. He exists outside of direction. He created place and time. So we don't believe Allah exists in place and time. And this is a a statement from the Salaf, that Allah was as he is before he created the throne and before he created place and time. He exists in a time, he exists in a place that he was before he created those things. He don't need to create a chair to sit down and physically, because where was the law before there was a chair? Before he created the throne. The scholars say he created the throne as to signify his power. The king does not have to sit in the throne to be the king of the kingdom. He don't have to sit in the throne. This is what we believe is Jamaat. This is what the Sahabas believe. This is what we believe for 1,400 years. These things are very serious. You have to get your Akita together, your belief system together. If you just, you know, just want to do whatever you want to do, that's fine. Do it, but 
the reality to it is if you're going to be a person that's going to be talking about Islam and, 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 and convincing people to become Muslim, then you should have some type of knowledge of what you believe in. There shouldn't be no miscommunication about what you believe and what others believe. You should be all on one page. All on one page. You'd be surprised that the lack of knowledge that Muslims don't know because they don't study. They don't care to study. In the time of the Salaf and, and, and um, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, when he went out, he said, now this is what he said. He said that he made an announcement. He was the Khalifa of the, the, the community, right? I'm just showing you what the sisters knew in the time of um, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, when he was the Khalifa. He made an announcement. He said, and this is another thing that he was letting the world know that he was looking to get married. Letting the world know that he was looking to get married. Because now if you let people know that you're looking to get married, they 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 consider you to be desperate or you thirsty. It's amazing, right? That if you tell people, I'm looking to get married, so if you want to have a sit down, have your, have your my kill contact me, you're desperate and you're thirsty. But all the while, people hooking up behind closed doors. So something going on. So the person that's announcing that he's looking to get married, he's the bad guy. But the people that's not announcing it and really want to, they're cool. Everybody cool with that. So Umar Ibn Aziz announced to the community that I'm looking for a wife. So if you have a daughter or a wife, a daughter or a mother or aunt that's single and she's looking to get married, light a, king, a candle and put it in your window. Put a candle in your window, right? So that night when he went out to look for a wife to have sit-downs, there were 500 candles in the window because he said that she must be a hafiz of Quran. That's the only criteria that he desires. She has to be a hafiz of Quran. So there was 25, there was 500 candles in the window, meaning where he was at, that particular place, that particular city, there were 500 women who memorized the entire book of Allah who were single. That's not counting the ones who were married. The single ones, 500 of them memorized the entire book of Allah. So he said, okay, well, I can't have 500 sit-downs in one night. So he said, okay, she must know the book of Allah, and she must memorize the entire uh, hadith book of the uh, the Muwatta of Iman Malik. Memorize all the hadith. In the, that's like the first hadith book ever compiled by Iman Malik. It's a thick book, thick as the Quran. She must memorize the Quran, and she had to memorize the Muwatta of Iman Malik. When he came out the next night, he said, put a, a candle in your window. When he came out the next night, there were 300 candles in the window. So 300 Muslim sisters in his time, Umar ibn Aziz, memorized the entire book of Allah, and they memorized all the hadith compiled. All the hadith compiled. This was the women. This was not the men. This was the women. This is what they knew. They say in the time that the scholars memorized Sahih Bukhari. You ever see the, all the collections of Sahih, Sahih Bukhari? They memorized Sahih Bukhari like we memorized the Al-Fatiha. That's how they memorized Sahih Bukhari. All of those hadiths. There's like 5,000 of them. Like we memorized the Al-Fatiha. That, that's what you call knowledge. That's what you call people who was dedicated to Quran and Sunnah. They was not playing games. So one of the people asked one of the scholars of today, why is it that 
in our time, we don't seem to have the possess the knowledge that they did in the time of the Salaf or the time of the Caliph or after them. You know, they memorized Sahih Bukhari like we memorized uh, the Fatiha, like they had good memory. What is wrong with us? We are distracted. We watch television. We listen to radio. We play games. We do everything under the sun other than focus on the law of messenger, so we're distracted. You ever have a, a test that you had to study for and you're trying to uh, memorize the, the, the quotes that you had to memorize and your phone keep ringing or someone keep bothering you? Because you can't concentrate. When you want to focus on Kandasoni, you have to let the people know, cut your phone off. Cut it off and give Allah and his messenger some time. Learn Quran, learn the Sunnah, learn about the life of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu If you want to engulf yourself in the love of Allah and his messenger. But if you don't love Allah and his messenger like that, then you want to give them whatever free time that you have available. Most people are working too much, two or three jobs, just to stay afloat on all the bills that they don't racked up for themselves. They don't have time to show Allah and his messenger love. They don't even have time to get married. They don't have time to look because they work. They love money so much. They love it so much that they're working two to three jobs just as they afloat. One job is not sufficient. MashaAllah. Brothers and sisters, the time the Quran Sunnah is it has to be re implemented. It has to be revived. So let Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raise up people who will revive the Quran and the Sunnah and the obligation to follow it and to stay away from the deviants. Allah Ameen. Now so the next show that we will have will be tomorrow, inshallah, eight o'clock. Please tune in. We lost me that to bless all of the homeless people and poor people with food to eat and a good health. Allahu Ameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.